Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, Scott, we've got Cyber Monday coming up this week. You know what that means? It means I think NVS has got a sale on Apex Fins, 15% off from Wednesday through Monday with the promo code Apex. A-P-E-X, 15% off your NVS Fins. Apex Fins have a lifetime warranty. That's an entire lifetime. And over 20 new templates added in the last three weeks. Lots of fins in stock. This is a no-brainer right now, 15% off. This is where you get gifts for the surfers and your family. Right now, you're getting 15% off from Wednesday through Monday, Cyber Monday coming up. Promo code APEX, 15% off your NVS fins. Total no-brainer. Totally agree. Remember, um, people used to go stand in line. They'd leave Thanksgiving early to go stand in line at Walmart or Target to get a television for $300 or something like that. Yeah, I know. It's it's kind of mind-blowing, um, the whole consumerism culture thing. And, um, you know, standing in line to buy stuff, I don't know. I don't think you need to do that anymore. That's the amazing thing. Cyber Monday, I'm a fan. And now it's, you know, like NBS, they are extending it beyond Monday. So starting Wednesday, you don't even have to wait till Monday. And you get the best deal of the year. And anybody who's been on the fence about NVS, as they've heard us talk about them, this is the time to jump off the fence. SurfNVS.com is their website. The promo code is the word Apex in that Apex series of fins, which you can get any variety of their fins in the Apex construction. It's 15% off. So uh, they're also available at Real Water Sports, by the way, who's our kind of surfboard retail partner for the last couple of months, who's also doing a Cyber Monday giveaway or uh, discount anyways. And that's $100 off any surfboard at realwatersports.com. Don't need a promo code. Just make the purchase on Cyber Monday and you get the 100 bucks off. And I'm, Real Water I, I, I apologize. I, I'm, I'm actually on the NVS website right now because I want to buy some fins. There you go. <laughs> I got a new twin fin coming. So I'm looking at the twin fins right now. And why am I not, not surprised? I'm looking at these Taylor Knox twin apex twins. There you go. They look pretty sick. Surfnbs.com, realwatersports.com. As we see some movement at the takeoff zone, it's Kelly Slater grabbing rail. A clean entry, this thing holding open, it spits. When it spit me, I thought it was going to spit me off my board. Comes out with the spit, spits him out. Comes out after the spit. Gets spat out of another good-looking wave here. Spit, spit, spit. We're just spitballing, right? Yeah, I got it. Welcome, welcome. 
yeah, guy, everybody. It is Spit the Spit Podcast. David Lee Scales, Scott Bass with you here on this Tuesday, the Tuesday before Thanksgiving. It's November 23rd. And David, welcome to the show. Welcome. Good, good day to you, sir. I am feeling gratitude. Grateful to be here, Scott. Yeah, man. Exactly. And me too. Grateful to be talking and walking and to be seen. Better to be seen than to be viewed. Are you able to spend it with your kids? Are the kids coming home this holiday season? Yeah, my college-age daughter is here, and my uh, son is not going to be with us, but I'll talk to him on the phone. He's, he's up in the mountains. Good for him. FaceTime. Don't talk to him on the phone. Look at his beautiful young face via, wow, <laughs> via FaceTime. Okay, I will. It's a good idea. It's a great idea. You're coming See? with fatherly advice. Exactly. Whole perspective nice. changed. That's sweet. Are you guys hosting? Do you cook? Does your wife cook? You make it? Oh Saturday? my God. So yeah. So here's the deal. I'm cooking the turkey and I just got an air fryer and it's a large one. So I'm going to go down the turkey air fryer uh, rabbit hole. And that's a um, huge air fryer. Yeah. It's actually, I bought a new stove. And the, oh, oven, okay. the oven stove combo comes with an air fryer. So, wow. Yeah. So I'm going to oven, I'm going to air fry the turkey. I'm going to brine the turkey. Then I'm going to, what is it? Spatchcock the turkey, press yeah. it down. I'm going to shove butter between the, the skin and the breast. I'm going to baste it with herbs and so forth and so on. And then I'm going to uh, air fry that thing. Incredible. Who knew you had this in you? I don't know if I do have it in me. We're going to find out. This is a first time go. Um, first time run. I've never, everybody's been trying to convince me to get the air fryer. They say it's amazing. Yeah, we just got one and um, I haven't, I haven't fully experienced it yet, okay. but I'm looking forward to it. Awesome. I thought your talents were extended at baking. I didn't know that, uh, that you went into cooking as well. Well, um, I'm also looking into doing a trace leches cake. Holy cow. Yeah. My friend Mark has given me a trace leches recipe. It's actually cuatros, cuatros leches. He's got me with four milks, not three, four. It's an untraditional Thanksgiving dessert. Yes, it is. It is, and I'm <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna give it a run. We'll see what happens. I've been we've been seeing the um, leche lady actually, <laughs> the lactation consultant. Oh so yeah, milk 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 has been a big theme in my life as well. Yeah. Well, that's good. I'm glad. I'm glad you got a consultant. I'm glad you guys are looking into all of the important stuff. We are indeed. Um, so, what's going on in the surf world, Scott? Well, there's a lot going on. Um, I guess first and foremost, um, you know, the what I've been noticing is there's been some fun waves in Hawaii. Um, they've been getting tons of surf. They've got more surf on the way. The Haleiwa event starts Friday. It looks like it's going to be pretty solid. Although it's got a bit of north in it, but Haleiwa generally you want a sort of a west swell. But, um, you know, the event starts, it should be eight to 10 feet with 12 foot sats on Friday. 
and then sort of tapering down through the weekend. So um, I'm kind of, a, that's kind of what's on my mind because, and like we mentioned last time, I'm actually, I like the new schedule because it makes the Challenger series interesting Yeah, to me. Like it doesn't, I'm not bombarded with both Challenger series and CT events. It's like, okay, let's just focus on these young studs who are going to try to make the tour. Some of them old studs, some of them maybe not so studly. It's all depends on, you know, your point of view, but um, you know, as you may know, I think you mentioned it last time, Zeke Lau is in. So Zeke is going to be on the CT this year. And, um, you know, there's some other spots that are available. Um, and, you know, Nat Young, Connor O'Leary, um, the young Hawaiian, Ima Kalani DeVault, uh, Brazilian... Yao Chianka yeah. and uh, Australian Jackson Baker. So, you know, uh, Jake Marshall, of course. Yep. And then there's it's guys like Michelle Perez and Matt Banning. And of course, our favorite Mateus Hurdy, Jacob Wilcox. There's a lot happening here starting Friday. I mean, it's, it's all going to come down. It's all happening soon. So, it's interesting that you're excited about this because I put in my notes to ask you, doesn't it feel odd to not be hyping for the pipe event right now? Well, it feels like, you know, all I should be focused on Hawaii. My eyes are on Hawaii and I see what's happening in Hawaii is this challenger series, like these guys yeah. that are gunning. And, and in, in a way it's refreshing that there's kind of not anything else really on the, on the plate. You know, it's just Holly Eva coming up here. And yeah. um, and so I, I'm kind of psyched about that. You know, there's not three events coming down the pike and both Challenger and CT events at the same time. And CT guys taking up energy that should probably be spent on Challenger Series guys trying to qualify. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm glad to hear that because I felt – two ways about, or I felt one way initially, and then I had a realization and I felt the way that you feel. In the end, initially my instinct was there isn't enough buildup. There isn't enough anticipation. Usually pipe is the main focal point and there are events surrounding it, but I'm excited about pipe. I'm excited to see who's going to win the world title. And I really associate that with the holidays for me. Like personally, I have Thanksgiving and Christmas, but in the surf realm that coincides with those personal events is this big surfing kind of uh, crescendo for the season. And I don't feel like there is that crescendo, but in a way, as kind of you're explaining, it is still there. It's just not centered around an actual surf competition necessarily. There are the competitions. There's uh, the digital vans, triple crown, which we could talk about. There's three events, uh, on the challenger series that are exciting that we can be excited about. And 
there's actually more content coming out of Hawaii now because there's more people producing content. So we're not relied, we're not relying necessarily just on the WSL to fill that for us. We've got, we could be watching it weekly through Jamie O'Brien or Nathan Florence or Cole Rothman or whoever else is putting out vlogs and, and plus just all the Instagram stuff. So it's actually, we've got it straight on tap 24 seven and it's actually more exciting. Yeah, it's funny you say that because before we logged on here for the podcast, I was checking out off the wall. I was checking out Haleiwa. I was checking out the surf. I wanted to see what's going on with the swell. And and in addition, I was also checking out the western coast of Australia, western Australia. Like the box, Margaret River is like 10 foot right now, and it's gorgeous. Just blue offshore, just absolute so the whole surf cam thing is kind of fascinating, right? It can kind of just take you places. And of course, Hawaii is at the top of that list this time of year to, to check what's happening over there in Hawaii. And frankly, the waves are shitty here. And so I'm kind of jonesing. I, I've got to surf jones. I, I want to get out in the water and surf more. And it's been pretty bad. It's a bummer. We had that offshore wind two or three days ago. And it was like one foot. It wasn't even one foot. Um, flat. When, when was the last time you went to Hawaii? Uh, I went to Hawaii a couple of years ago, 20, I guess 2019 before pre-COVID 2019. Yeah. Are you over Hawaii or do you still try to go? No, 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 no. I would absolutely go. I'm, I'm over sort of, uh, the North shore of Oahu. Yeah. I wouldn't go there. That's going to be crowded. (laughs) Well, I mean, just don't go there in December, right? You can get it other times and it's still fun. I don't need it at 10 foot anyways, you know? Um, yeah. So Vans Triple Crown, who won it in 2020, Scott? I bet it was John John. <laughs> That's a good guess. Who won it on the women's side? Marissa. Good guess. Those are literal guesses. You didn't know? You can... No. No, I, I'm, I'm not even... But it's what's, I know where you're going with this. And the fact of the matter is, I'm not sure, you know, you're kind of going, I think what you're saying is, is the digital triple crown as engaging as the actual events. And I wouldn't right. have known who won the triple crown, even if they had the events. Like, you know, the triple crown has always, you know, we've talked about it at length on the show for years and years and years. It's, it's one of those things where you're like, is it really the triple crown if, somebody that's in the running doesn't even get to surf the pipeline because it's a CT. Yep. You know, I know that, you know, they try to work around that as best they can, but at the end of the day, when the triple crown was instituted, when it, you know, when it had some mojo early on, you know, I want to say, well, first there was the pro class trials and that was sort of the, the beginnings of the triple crown. And then, you know, they branded it and named it and turned it into this triple crown, but, um, anyway, it just, it's, it's never had the, the bright shine that they pretended that it had because there was many times when guys that were in the running couldn't surf in the pipe of that. And it was, from my perspective, it was kind of like, you know, it, it just didn't seem right. It didn't seem fair. Yeah. Well, we still have events at those venues uh, this year, despite them not being quote coalesced as the triple crown vans is doing the digital triple crown which i'll explain the details of that but there are still events at those venues 
And so we kind of get the best of both worlds right now. And we, another thing we've talked about ad nauseum was mixing up different contest formats. And we've talked about the way that Taylor Steele used to do intersection. And what if they just send people around the world and they make video parts and blah, blah, blah. This is kind of a version of that. The Vans adapting to COVID last year and doing uh, a non-event basically where I think they limit the number of signups actually, but you have to, you basically register on their site to sign up. Maybe I think there's 150 slots or something like that. So if you register by uh, the November 15th is the opening of the window. And then the waiting period for the event itself is one month. It's December 21st through January 21st. And you're allowed to submit clips from the three venues, Hollyiva, Sunset, and Pipe. And they'll judge online all the clips. And by the end, at the end of the one month period, they'll award points and somebody wins. And I think last year it was one wave from each of the venues. And then they pick the top two. This year, it looks like they're doing two waves from each of the venues. So they're scored on a 10 point format as usual, but it's like a 60 total points are attainable. And there's a men and a women's division. And I just think that this is, this kind of gives us the best of all the worlds. You know, like it is, gives opportunities for everybody to get plenty of waves because you're not limited by a 30 minute format. It's kind of the stab 100 scenario where it's just a average everyday lineup that you're out there fighting for waves in. So I like it. I like the concept. Yeah, we'll see how it goes. I, I, I'm not against it. And I think, as I recall, last year, I, I did enjoy watching watching the clips. And so, um, you know, there's there's plenty of upside from an end user from getting fired up from and seeing kind of what's happening on the North Shore, like who's getting the rides. I think even if you can't remember who won, I guarantee or I would bet that you remember John John's wave at Holly Eva. Um, he did three massive, it was a wave that was probably double or triple. I mean, it was triple overhead and three massive front side carves that looked like that Margaret river turn. Yeah, I do. I do recall that. And, and yeah, I mean, that was, I guess the question is, would you have seen it other, you know, I'm pretty sure we'd see that clip anyway, but anyway, well, I, well, I, I guess, it would have been a but, 10 point ride if it was in the event itself. Like if they actually had a contest that day, that was a 10 point ride, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm all about checking it out. You know, like I'm, I'm, I'm into the watching the best rides of the year in Hawaii. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm into it. Totally. Me too. Um, interestingly, their stab did a little commercial advertising it. And they said, there's one other little uh, criteria for the judging this year. And that's that one of the waves has to be surfed on a quote, all progressive craft. What? Yeah. Really? Yeah. In uh, the Vans Triple Crown? Yeah. One so of the out, of those, out of those six scores at the three venues, one wave has to be served on a, quote, progressive craft. But what, what was weird about that was, I think uh, Ashton was doing the narration, I think. And he said, a progressive craft could be anything from in Alaya to a asymmetrical board. And he gave a couple of examples. And I'm thinking, in Alaya isn't progressive. In Alaya is like the most ancient version, unless you're arguing that 
uh, because it's friction free, maybe that's a direction that we could go for progression. But their their cried or definition of progressive seemed to be very, very loose. And they showed bonzers when they were talking about it. And I was like, that's not progressive either. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. So they're mixing it up a little bit. Well, you know, okay. I like when they're trying new stuff. We'll see how it goes. I see what you mean though. The definition like like progressive is just it's it's quite subjective. Like what exactly does that mean? And um yeah, we'll see how it goes. I think the good the what they're trying to do here is we've complained about the limitations of the pointy thruster when we're looking at WCT events. And so then the WCT does these uh like a fish exhibition heat at J Bay in between, you know, the semifinals and the finals or whatever. It seems like they're trying to incorporate an element of that, of alternative craft, maybe more than progressive craft, but I don't think that they need to mandate it. I think that they can include those scores. You know, if Alex Nost or somebody goes out there and gets a crazy barrel at backdoor on a single fin, that should be counted as well. But I don't think you need to mandate that John John has to ride something different than what he rides. Yeah, I agree. It seems a little bit like square peg round hole a little bit like, I mean, if, if there's one spot on earth where you're going to want to ride a pointy nose trifin, it's in Hawaii at all three of those venues. So totally. I'm not sure that it makes a ton of sense, but, um, you know, I, I you know, I, I just, I guess what I see is, oh, shoot, the ways are pumping. And for the triple crown thing, I'm supposed to ride something different. So right. I guess I'm going to ride this thing, even though I don't really want to, you know, to me, that's like, oh man, he's, you're kind of limiting his ability to do his dance. You're kind totally. of, you know, I don't know. Seems a little off. We'll, we'll see how I'm, I'm, I'm open to it. You know, I think the reality is I doubt anybody's going to have scores up into the 50 range. I don't think anybody's going to get five perfect tens. So you, even if you throw out that final score, you still would probably be in the running. Yeah. Well, we'll see how it goes, you know? Yeah. Um, I'm excited for it. I like the format. I, uh, I think it's a smart pivot from vans, you know, uh, and of course they did it during COVID, but I think they might've recognized that they got a lot of, if you calculate total number of views, you know, that they probably benefited from it with all the clips that were circulating around. So I'm, I'm down with it. I mean, you know, I, something's going on behind the scenes. Like there's just, I mean, I think it's pretty obvious. There's a limited amount of, of uh, contest permits. Yep. You know, COVID happened. There was no contest. There's still some issues about what's happening with COVID. Um, the, the contest permits are super hard to get. I don't know who has them or how they've got them. Or I know the WSL has some. I'm sure there's some other entities that have some. And at the end of the day, it's just, it was just too hard. There's no synergy between fans wanted to do and what the other power players on North Shore of Oahu wanted to do. And it feels like they just went, you know what? It worked in COVID. Let's just continue the pivot in that direction. It's too much of a headache to deal with it, all, all the rest of it, you know, and we can still pull this off and, and actually more than pull it off. We can do something that's a little bit, speaking of progressive, this is a progressive move to do a digital version of it. You know, that there's some other stuff I saw out there too, like, Vans owns the rights to the pipeline event, but they like license the rights to Billabong for a couple of years. And next year it won't be the Billabong pipeline 
Masters. It'll be called the Vans Pipe Pro or, you know, there's all these like trademarks and it's all kind of still being combed through. Yeah. I don't know if you saw any of that, but um, no. yeah, in, not this year, but next year Vans is going to be the, the one that owns the Pipeline Masters event. And I think they're kind of doing, look, that's going to be our, let's put all our eggs in that basket, or at least some of them. In the meantime, we'll do this digital thing. But I wouldn't be surprised if the Triple Crown, you know, this time next year, we're not talking about it. And they're just like focused on the pipeline event. Again, I don't know. I, you know, I could be wrong. I mean, it would be, it's a pretty great brand, right? The, the brand has some value, the Triple Crown of surfing. So maybe they won't, but I sense that the, you know, the pivot's not just in this direction. I think they're, I agree. they're probably trying to figure some other stuff out. I agree, but I think it's um it's a savvy move actually. If you think about generally you've got to pay athletes to wear your moniker, right? And that was a sticker on a surfboard and that sticker on a surfboard was in magazines. That's all gone now, but they're now empowering surfers that they're not even paying to wear their moniker through this yeah. vehicle. It's, yeah. we're not even going to, we're not, here's 150 contestants. We're not going to actually pay you guys unless you win. Uh, but you are going to be uploading on your content onto our site. We're going to be publishing it. We're going to be using your social yeah. uh, capital essentially. And you're going to yeah. be reposting, tagging us all the time. It's really it's savvy. funny. It's, it's kind of Facebook ask in a way, because it's like, we're taking your content. We're going to uh, monetize the crap out of it. And if, and two of you are going to get some money or however many they're giving money out to, you know what I mean? And it, it goes against this whole, you know what, we're creating our own content. I'm going to own my own content. I'm going to be able to monetize my own content and you can't have it. You know, it, it sort of takes the whole democratization of, of your own content. Um, this sort of flies in the face of that, but you know, look, there's young kids that want to get famous and make some money. And, and this is, this is the avenue for those that don't have the chops to create a vlog like Jamie O'Brien or to get out there and to have a really powerful Instagram or social media account. So, you know, for them, it's, it's, it's a step in the right direction, I suppose. And maybe the, it launches something for them so that they can pull a Mason hoe and monetize a YouTube channel. Well, it's a win-win actually. There's no downside in this version, you know, like the, the downside for the Facebook model is that you're giving up all this privacy and information and access to your own stuff with the Vans model. It's really, they're just helping promote you essentially. So there's no downside. I think everybody wins. It's a kind of a gift back to the community of surfing. And then if you win it, or if it's just prestigious to be involved with the triple crown period. So you get to kind of glean some of that prestige. So. Yeah. That, yeah. Late, maybe my characterization of Facebook is pretty harsh because that's, that's such a negative connotation. And I guess what I was saying is, you know, you're, you're a young now. surfer. Yeah. You're, yeah. You're a young surfer and, and, and we want your content. And, and if you win, we're going to give you money. And if you don't, we're going to, use your content and if you agree to that and again there's nothing wrong with that if i was a young surfer i'd be all about it i'd be like sign me up what do i got and to lose you know it, the other thing is it's not um like they get they own your content exclusively right. at that point you can still use your content john john can right. still use his clips that he won from last year on his youtube channel um 
that kind of related talking about events and ownership of names. Did you read that Bill Sharp article on Stab? No. It's really no, interesting. In. Yeah, it's really it? interesting. Um, so it's about the Big Wave World Tour and what's happening with the WSL. And Bill Sharp really pulls back the curtain and gives some pretty um, incriminating clues as to that thing is just so wayward um, and getting zero attention. So first of, first of all, let me, let me ask you, before you look at the website, because I can see yeah. you looking, uh, can you name the Big Wave World Tour events this year? Um, I believe there's two of them. There's the Quicksilver at Jaws and there's the Nazare event. I think that's it. You're batting a thousand today. <laughs> <laughs> I'm You're actually really doing up my to speed. Yeah. Yeah. Good job. I'll give you A plus. <laughs> you, you thought you had me, huh? You're like, well, well, because it's, uh, they don't really promote it. You know what I mean? Like it, the, the waiting period just opened and, I don't know how many people are aware of that. And so Bill Sharp, through this interview with Stab, he kind of um, illuminated a lot of what we've kind of been questioning. You know, when there's no information being given out, we're left to speculate. And we're like, who's behind this thing? And ultimately, Bill reveals there's nobody behind this thing. So Bill was, um, he was the general manager of the Big Wave World Tour, and he also ran the Big Wave Awards. And he worked with the WSL, I forget for how many years, but his contract ended in October of last yeah. year. So a year ago. And he said, they said, uh, you know, what's your interaction been with the WSL since? He goes, well, my, com- my contract ended in October of last year. And then I had a three-month consulting option with them. And in that three months, they were entitled to consult with me, ask me anything that they wanted to ask me. He goes, I never heard from them once. Yeah, And and then the interviewer at Stab goes, well, was it an amicable split? He goes, I have no idea if it was amicable or not. I have never heard from the WSL since. It's been complete radio silence. Um, and in that void, there's been a dwindling of the number of events on tour, a dwindling of communication with the athletes themselves. Nobody knows what's going on, you know? And so... A couple of quotes. Um, well, I'll just leave. I'll leave that with you right now, and just ask you: What does this mean for big wave surfing? And do we care? Is big wave surfing competitive? Big wave surfing over temporarily? This is a great question. I, I don't know. It's kind of. I just feel like more will be revealed. I sense that the Jaws event probably gets a lot of attention. I think that they wanted. They they want to continue that, and I. And I think the surf world wants the Jaws event. I think you and I want the Jaws event. Um, the Nazare event, I'm not sure, you know, like, and again, I'm sort of, I sort of have blinders on, like, I think in Europe, they might really dig it. You know, it's, it's part of what European surfing is. It's a bit, it's like, and, and, and frankly, you know, the hundred wave, um, hundred foot wave thing on HBO, whatever it was called, I found that to be really good. And I don't know if they take some of that mojo and that energy into the Nazare event or not. Um, But what's most interesting about the HBO thing is that I learned a ton about it. I learned a ton about what's happening over there. And that almost incriminates 
the WSL, that they didn't do a good enough job of like me. I, I had no idea. I mean, I knew Garrett was over there, but I didn't know like Garrett was like the mayor of Nazareth. I didn't yeah. know that it was just kind of Garrett for a couple of years and some other people, you know, like I didn't, all the stuff that I learned, it's unfortunate that I had to learn it from HBO and that I didn't learn it from the WSL. Crazy, right? You know what I mean? And so what's the big question that you asked is what's going to happen with the big wave world tour. And I don't think they know. That's kind of what I'm getting from this Bill Sharp interview. Well, that's that's what I thought when I'm saying that Bill pulled back the curtain. He's validating a lot of the concerns that we've had. And I agree, it is incriminating. If you own these entities and you have access to all the athletes and the producers and everybody, and you don't do anything with it for years on end. And then the guy who founded the big wave awards, Bill Sharp, who is your guy, you just let him leave. You let him walk out without even communicating indicates to me that there is no plan in place. And somebody comes along an interloper HBO comes along and does a better job at it than you are doing with it is insane to me. That's just letting, you had all this runway, you had all the access to everything and you just completely mismanage it and let somebody else swoop in and do it better than you. That's a problem. Well, I think what it speaks to is, is that the WSL is a business. And at the end of the day, there are suits, CPA types with spreadsheets that are combing through this thing. And again, this is pure speculation on my part. I don't have any insight into this. But I, I do sense because they, I do sense that perhaps this isn't a very good business. Like there's not a lot of margin is what I mean. You know, like, and they don't have this, hey, let's do it just because we're all surfers and this thing is cool, which is what you sensed when Billabong was doing it or when Bill was doing it with Billabong or, or when Bill was doing it with friggin' K or, or, and the same with the events in Hawaii and the events all around, like when it's surfers running it, they're not, the first thing they're not doing it. The first thing they're doing isn't going business with a good margin. Like, can, like, are, is this going to, is there some return here? You know, no, they're looking at like, yeah, this is what we do. We're surfers. We have events, you know, we got to do the events. And then at the very end of the day, everyone kind of goes, oh, well, we didn't really do that well, but fuck the waves were good. And we had a good time. And, and oh, by the way, we proclaimed a champion, you know, and, or we're still you know, selling just, board shorts and wetsuits, so it's fine. Yeah, exactly. Like, and so I just sense that WSL is just, there's not enough salt in the building. You know, all the salt is left. Bill Sharp's gone. Is freaking, um, is Graham Stapleberg still there? I don't think so. Pat O'Connell's gone. Like, I don't know who the salt in the building is. I'm sure there is some. I'm sure there's, I mean, I know, well, like Dave Prodan, he's salty. But um, as far as like, at the end of the day, you know, they're spreadsheeting the crap out of this thing and combing through it. And I'm just assuming, I'm not saying they're not making a killing on the big wave world tour, but I'm assuming based on no, what not. I'm reading and what you just said and all that, that it's not a very good business. And so let's just kind of let it die on the vine. But and, that's, oh, by the way, but, but the Jaws and the Quicksilver event of Jaws, that kind of keeps, we kind of got to do that because if we don't, somebody else is going to come grab it. And we, you know, let's be a lost leader. And, you know, I, who knows, the, lack, but... the lack of direction thing is the common denominator that we're seeing over and over and over in all these stories. And I think but the Bill, ultimate the... surfer is killing it. We're making a ton of money on the ultimate surfer. No. Let's keep doing. Well, I don't not. know. I'm just, I'm, I don't know, but I'm just saying 
Did you see those, um, the ratings for that? I I did not, but I mean. It was atrocious. So. So they're not doing it again. I mean, I highly doubt it, but the hundred foot wave in this interview, um, they are doing again. He said after the first episode, HBO was so thrilled with the response to it that um, they greenlit a season two and Bill's going to be a producer on it. He put his hand up. Yeah. He put his hand up and he's like, dude, there's so many hundred foot wave stories to be told. Uh, Let's absolutely do this. And I'll help you guys do it. So I think a lot of what you're saying is right. I think that that if that is true, that calls into question a much bigger problem or concern, which is none of it's profitable. If they're check, if they are running those spreadsheets and they're letting things die on the vine or losing interest, then what does that say for the world tour at large, for the individual events? Um, and we'll we'll yeah. see, we'll see. But yeah. back back to. Uh, the reason why it seems that they're running Nazare and Jaws is because they have community support at those two events. Certainly yeah. at Nazare, the whole town wants that event to take place. But the interviewer, yeah. the interviewer asked uh, Bill, and I'll just quote his question verbatim. It says, yeah. many of the big wave events are messed up beyond recognition. The Mavericks event was a disaster. The Dungeons event is a disaster. The Nell Scott Reef event was so bad that criminal charges came into play. And the Eddie Aikau, the most prestigious big wave event in the world is gone. What do you make of that? And Bill said, there are big wave communities that feel they have ownership of their events and a lot of the people who want it to be in the mix. But unfortunately, there is a belief that somehow these events are billion dollar properties that will make someone incredibly rich. So they tend to self-sabotage over and over again. I don't know what to do about that, but I can say that going to Nazare with a clean slate was perfect. The interviewer then yeah. asked, the, uh, the events like Mavericks and Eddie seem to be gone for good though. What are your thoughts on that? And Bill said, I think it's tragic. There was so much interference and remnant issues that just don't go away. When you run big wave events, you have to be nimble, make rapid decisions and deploy a strike force approach. I think it's a good time for everyone to hold hands and let go of the weirdness and political issues that have existed under the tables for the last few years. Well, there's there's a lot, um, you know, yeah. It, it's it's sad. I don't think Eddie will ever come back, you know. Um, and the Mavs event is just, I mean, how many times can you run it shitty? I mean, every single time. And that's what I mean. Like, I, these aren't businesses. These are big wave contests. They're not fucking businesses. Yeah. As soon as you look at it like, oh, I'm going to print a bunch of T-shirts and, and, and sell licensing to online – Whatever it is you try, your whatever business you're trying to do, you're screwed. Yeah, these things are way better when it's twelve bros in a boat with twelve jerseys and three judges on the cliff, and you know, a carton of Starbucks. You know what I mean? Like that's what the spirit of the thing is and should be. And it's kind of like you know, Fred Hemmings on the beach with a you know with a poker table and two chairs at the first pipe event. That's what these things are. They're nothing more than that. You know, yeah, they're now a little bit bigger. Now there's 150 guys in it instead of 10 guys. But at the end of the day, we're trying to determine a champion in big waves. And that's it. And there's no yeah. money. You're going to lose money. 
you know, and if you go into it with that, then you're going into it with the right attitude. We're doing it for the spirit of man versus nature and to see who the champion is. And, and it just never, it can never be that clean. It's always like ego and, you know, it's which, just. Which makes me, that relates back to the triple crown, digital versus actual events. And it makes me advocate for the digital version because with the big wave tour, I don't really care about the big wave tour. If there is an individual event, I'll watch that individual event, the Jaws event, I'll watch. I don't care if there's a tour. We also have the big wave awards that still exists. So we get to see what the best rides of the year were from all the different venues. And we get to revel in those, you know, and celebrate those. That's enough for me. I don't need a tour. Yeah, I, there's something about the Jaws event that's kind of cool because, like, let's say let's say Jaws is 30 feet and there's not an event. Like, it's a it's a day of days. We get to see a bunch of footage from that day or those two days, and we have just recently, two weeks ago, and and it's incredible. But what happens when you get the best 24 guys in the world and you kind of eliminate the riffraff and you go, here's a jersey, you have an hour you're competing against those other 20 guys that are insane. It does ramp up the, the level a little bit and you get the best of the best that are grinding and maybe paddling for ways that they normally wouldn't go for, or they're pushing each other, right? That's a competition, or at least it's supposed to do is to push each other. And, and I think that that there's a draw there for you. And for me, like we will tune into the jaws of, you know, it's kind of like drop everything and watch it. And yeah, we could not do that and watch the boiled down version the next day and see all the killer rides. But I think there's, I'm still biting the hook on that. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not necessarily going to bite the hook on Nazare because you can boil that. That's just, you know, I don't but know. I, it's but just I a agree. different beast. I agree. I'll watch yeah. that. I'll watch that event. It could be an exhibition event. I don't need a tour. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I mean, that yeah. is the tour. Like really, I think what we've learned from this is that there's only really one event. And it's Jaws. And it's just like it used to be. There was only really one event. It was the Eddie. Yeah. And we didn't exactly. even do it every year, you know? Exactly. And, and that's kind of cool. Like, it makes it better. Like, there's a scarcity, you know? Although Jaws breaks every year, no matter what. But So, um, another question. Um, I thought this was going to, this was very revealing as well. Remember, they ran the Big Wave Awards a couple of weeks ago, and I go, is this the same as the XXL Awards? And you're like, I don't know. I think so. It seems to be, you know. Um, I didn't notice at the time, but there was no wipeout category this year. Yeah. And so they asked, they asked Bill about that. And I'm wondering if this is a, uh, the WSL's decision to stay away from, you know, uh, liability essentially. And uh, there could be some of that. I mean, that, I, I haven't given that much thought. I, you know, maybe, um, I think it's probably more like we're trying to trim it down. We don't have as much, um, budget, you know, what can we do to just kind of like, what can we get rid of and let's make the show smaller and trim down and better, you know, the wipeouts, the biggest, the wipeout is the biggest category that gets more views than the best ride of the year. And that Bill said as much. Bill said, look, it's always been the most popular category and people watch that stuff for years and years to come. And it's delicate. You can't celebrate it. You can't, because um, people do get hurt. And he goes, the year that Maya drowned at Nazare, you know, 
we did not run that clip. We opted to not run that clip. And then Andrew Cotton broke his back and we consulted with him and asked if we wanted to include that clip or not. And he agreed that we could uh, use the clip and he ended up winning the wipeout of the year because of it. And he was able to use it to further his career, but we're not, we're never, we're very delicate in how we promote those things. We don't laugh at them and we don't uh, celebrate them essentially. And it made me realize like, yeah, you're right. That is a very delicate thing. And I don't think the WSL can thread that needle, like without Bill Sharp or without the salt in the building, they can't thread that needle. And so all the suits who are running the spreadsheets go, no, what if somebody dies? What if we're running this contest? They're trying to make a name for themselves and they die. And then we're held liable. Cancel it. We're not going to celebrate wipeouts. Full stop. Don't do it. Well, that's probably true. I mean, that, that could be one of, you know, that could be what the situation is, you know, that I don't know, but I, I, it got me thinking here as you were talking, I was thinking, you know, what would be smart. Maybe somebody in Europe, somebody in Portugal should just run with their own Nazare um, awards just for Nazare, you know, like to me, there's a divide and it's kind of like what we were talking about last year about decentralizing the world tour, you know, like, but just let the experts in Australia run Australia. Let the experts in Hawaii run Hawaii. Let the experts in Europe run Europe. And in this case, let's let the experts at Nazare run the Nazare awards, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Because well, that community is just so, they're just like, what else can we do? Let's do some more stuff. Like they're ready to celebrate Nazare like in massive, I mean, you know, like it was crazy that they went to Times Square and they had friggin', yeah. you know, the world champion, biggest wave ever, that Brazilian guy. I forget his name now, but, um, you know, I mean, they brought, they brought like the ambassador in for, you know, like they had some major, major political clout in Times Square to, to celebrate the Guinness Book of World Records at Nazare. And, you know, you get it. I mean, like they're ready to go. And it's like Bill said. Clean slate, Nazare, perfect situation. Everybody, yeah. there's no politics. There's no like, hey man, I was here first, bro. Well, and they're organ, and they're organized, so they can actually pull off an award ceremony like you're talking about. Uh, Jaws, I think, has the community to do a similar thing and for them to run their own show and award their own show. I don't know who would organize it for them. You know, I don't know if they need a show. I think the Jaws event is the show. Like. Yeah, but maybe I'm wrong, you know, but, you know, do they need an end of the year recap or like, okay, this year, you know, maybe, you know, maybe, maybe somebody does that, you know, maybe it's somebody like Quicksilver again, you know, like maybe Quicksilver gets into that situation. I don't know. Uh, you know, yeah. that's a market, that's a marketing department thing, but um, yeah, it's, it's weird. The big wave world tour. I think if you asked your average Joe in the parking lot, they wouldn't, they wouldn't know. They'd be like, I think there's four events, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. One of them's, I was one of them's in Peru. Right. <laughs> I was surprised that you knew. So good for you. Hey, no, Apparently on. they are doing their job. Are you reading the emails they send out? <laughs> <laughs> it's my job, man. It's my job. Hey, Scott, I don't know if you saw on Stab, there was an article a couple of weeks ago about thousands of wetsuits being stuck at sea due to the um, 
port back up in Long Beach. Yeah. Did you see that? I've, I've, that's the main story around here in California is the, um, the lack of distribution, man, all this stuff just sitting on these, these big boats out there off Huntington beach. It's unprecedented. It's due to COVID largely, but we've never seen anything like this. Um, but wetsuits was the story on stab and you know, where you can still find plenty of inventory. Heck yes. Needessentials.com. They never leave us hanging, Scott. They've been here with us for years and they're still here. I went on their website uh, just before we started recording to try to get a 4.3, fully available, inexpensive, high quality, premium rubber. I love it. You know what? Only what you need, only the essentials, needessentials.com. It's the giving season. This is the season to be thinking about your friends, your neighbors, your family, your loved ones. Um, You know what? A new wetsuit would go pretty far. (laughs) <laughs> need essentials or, or a wet dry bag outerwear anything booties by the way fins uh traction leashes, leashes all the accessories yeah. but yeah. again everything you need nothing you don't need those are more thank you i'm sorry to interrupt. those are more price point type things like get your loved one a leash you know even though i just oh yeah leash. totally <laughs> didn't i early say leashes have ruined surfing but anyway i wear a leash so i'll yeah. just let's just get keep it straight okay cool need essentials all right Whoop, 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 whoop. Hell yeah. Whoop.com promo code is the word surf. You get a free whoop 4.0 strap and 15% off your membership when you use our promo code surf. 4.0. Like my age, 4.0. And what is whoop, Scott? What does it mean to you? How has it affected your life? Well, Look, the Whoop 4.0 is really, for me, the best part about it is the sleep, like the ability to gauge my sleep, which I don't seem to be getting very much of. It does a lot of cool things, but for me, I, I really like, you know, it monitoring my sleep and where I'm at with that. And It's a digital fitness tracker. It is the most advanced fitness wearable on the market. The 4.0 version is. John John Florence uses it. Uh, Nathan Florence has been using it. And although it's a fitness tracker, it's really designed around the concept of recovery. And so it's important to not just monitor your exertion, but also monitor what's going on at night and how well you're sleeping and your body's processing all of that and recovering, and then apply it to your workout. Yeah. The 4.0, it basically tells me, Hey, today's a recovery day, or today you can go full 110% or today, maybe just go 80%, whatever the case may be. And, uh, it's, it's a powerful tool for, People like me and you that are living, you know, aggressive lifestyles. The cool thing about the 4.0 strap is that it is smaller, sleeker. It is a biometric tracker. So it sits on your wrist, but it uh, is so small that it actually fits under your wetsuit. So you can wear it 24 hours a day. It um, measures skin temperature, blood oxygen, much, much more all of that information gets sent to your phone. So the device itself doesn't have a screen. There's no buttons. There's no annoying notifications, but you can open up the app on your phone and it has all of your vitals. Super important information that you could then share with a physician, a coach, a personal trainer. It's just automatically collecting that data 24 seven, whether you're working or sleeping. So whoop.com is the website, W-H-O-O-P. And then use our promo code, which is the word surf. And you will get 15% off your membership and a free whoop 4.0 strap. Right on whoop 4.0. Whoop.com promo code surf. 
Well, I, I've got some kind of sad I, I, that. Yeah, go for it. Came out yesterday. I don't know if you heard about Reno. Reno Avalara was attacked. Apparently, Reno, of course, legendary shaper um, and renowned surfer, and and huge part of surf culture, um, revered by many as a you know a, a shaping uh, and surfing icon. And um, anyway, he was hospitalized. Um, I've got this from the Honolulu Star Advertiser, the newspaper there in Hawaii. And um, they were able to confirm with a hospital representative that Abelera was, in fact, a patient at that hospital. But they wouldn't give details. But in the article from the Star Advertiser, Derek Dorner, of course, um, you know, who was a, who's a former county lifeguard, city and county lifeguard, but of course, a legendary big wave surfer and friend of Reno's confirmed that that he had been found unconscious in a park somewhere. Well, it looks like Alamoana Beach Park. And he was in a coma with severe life-threatening injuries. And he, he had been assaulted, apparently, and transported to Queens Hospital. And I think, according to this article, Reno remains in the hospital in intensive care. So, um, you know, Reno's had a bit of a struggle here the last, you know, few years, according to what, you know, I can... Uh, glean from the internet and from uh, friends of friends and um it's just a sad situation you know to you know reno 71 you don't you don't you don't want to see anyone of course in the icu but um you know to be beaten up in a park to a point where you're in a coma at 71 years old that's just that's not right he was apparently sleeping on the bench so he's attacked while he was sleeping and this is i've been talking about this I don't know, for a couple of years now, kind of that place, Waikiki, Honolulu is scary nowadays. It's always been sketchy. I'm not always, but it's always, it's often had some sketch element to it now is worse than it's ever been. I haven't gone since COVID. I would imagine COVID hasn't helped it, but um, I was there just before COVID in 2020 in January, we left early. We had booked a couple of days in Waikiki and then the rest of the week was going to be on the North shore. We left Waikiki early and called her accommodation on the North shore and was like, can we come a couple of days early? And he's like, absolutely. And um, it was just sketchy, like prostitution out in public, like not being hidden at all, tons of drug, tons of homelessness and what appears to be, uh, drug using homeless, just really erratic behavior. You're afraid to walk from one point to the other. And it's not like uh, we were paying a lot of money for our accommodation and we'd be going to a fancy restaurant. But in the walk from this place to this two safe places, you have to go through, you know, a really kind of dangerous <laughs> environment where we felt, I honestly was like watching our back, hold your purse tight. I'm going to tighten up while we're passing this guy. Cause he's got a crazy look in his eye the whole time we were there. It was sketchy. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would uh, echo your sentiments. It's, 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 yeah, there's, there's some issues that there's a lot of, there's a lot of drug addled homeless people, man. And I don't know. It's just, it's a, a great, scene. well, what's crazy is there, there's no good solution. Like I analyze that problem here in Southern California and think, what are the solutions? 
I don't have a good solution. There's, you know, it's just, it's such a complicated mess because you're dealing with mental illness. You're dealing a lot of times people uh, who choose into that life, a lot of people who yeah. don't want help. And so, yeah. I, so I really don't know what the solution is, but it's, it is a problem. And this is a horrific result of it. You know, this Reno story. Let me ask you this. You see an elderly, say over 65, maybe 70 years old on the street corner with a sign asking for money. What's your policy? I don't have a great policy, but I don't, I don't give them money. I, um, I do have charitable giving throughout the year. Uh, and that's allocated and that's researched. And that's where I kind of make myself feel okay about not handing out individual things like that. It's like, well, I am trying to help out, but I don't feel confident that I'm necessarily doing any help to that individual person. And I could be wrong. Yeah. I, it's weird. It's a nuanced thing. Right. But so there's, there's people where I live that I've, they've been that person for a long, long time. Like they're almost a part of the, of the community in a weird yeah. way, you know, like they've got a nickname and everyone knows them as this and, you know, and so, um, and then there's, you know, there's, there's young people that look employable that are like today, there was a guy playing his guitar that looked like he had a nice backpack. Like he looked like he had his shit together and he was sitting there on the, you know, the, the freeway off ramp playing guitar with a sign up. And he was probably 24 or something, you know, and you're, and you're like, ah, man, you know, and then I tried to give money to a guy, I don't know, a couple months ago. And he's like, no, I don't want your money. And I was like, okay, man, cool. No worries. <laughs> well, was he homeless? Why were you giving the yeah, money? Yeah, no, no. He's, he's fully homeless. The bike. And he's homeless. And, and the guy reads. The guy reads. No, he didn't have a sign or anything. I just went up to him. I'm like, here, you know, can I help? He wasn't asking for money, this guy. And I see him, I see him a lot. I see him and he's reading, he reads, you know, like I want to give him a book or something, you know. And he was obviously, um, you know, my my one, you know, involvement with him, he's, he seemed like a smart guy. Yeah. And he, you could tell he had some pride, pride about him on some level. He didn't, he's like, no, I don't, keep it, you know. Look. So I don't know, it's a weird thing. It's very weird. And I feel conflicted about it every single time I encounter that situation. And I encounter it yeah. all the time. I encountered it this morning, actually. Yeah. And um, I feel very conflicted every time. Somebody told me, suggested something that maybe I should actually implement, which was rather than giving cash, because again, you don't know if that's feeding somebody's drug addiction or alcoholism or whatever. They said, get gift cards to food and it maybe not even fast food because fast food, fast food isn't healthy, but subway, you know, somewhere relatively decent or a grocery store, get gift cards to a grocery store and just keep them in your car. And when you see somebody panhandling, asking for money, hand them a gift card or ask them if they want it first and they can decline it if they don't. But I thought that was actually a really good solution. 
Yeah, that's an interesting one. It's it's a weird deal, right? As you mentioned, I mean, it, it's it is every situation is different, basically, and a lot of it has to do with how you feel at the time, too. You know, like do you feel giving, you know, or you feel guilty, maybe, you know, or you know, I, so. Yeah, it's weird gift cards. I don't know. Maybe um, my feeling is it's none of my business what they do with the money. You know, like if I'm going to give money, but then demand that they go buy carrots instead of cigarettes. I'm okay with them getting their cigarette fixed. It's kind of like, dude, if this helps you in the next hour and a half, go do it. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do have an opinion. Or whatever if, I'm, if I'm underwriting it, I have an opinion. Yeah. All right. All right. That's um, fair enough. So I I went to Nepal one time. Yeah. yeah. Like India. And then we did a couple of days in Kathmandu. And uh, there's all these Tibetan refugees, right? That got kicked out of Tibet. And you see them walking around the city and they're all dressed in, you know, Buddhist monk garb and they do so much meditation and prostration towards Nepal or towards Tibet that they have calluses on their forehead, like a giant callus because they're bowing down and touching the ground that often. And you see a lot of homelessness there too. And there was, it was early in the morning and there was a homeless woman uh, panhandling essentially and there was a Buddhist monk praying next to her. And a friend of mine who uh, works there, like runs Christian orphanages, who speaks the language, wanted to have a dialogue with the Buddhist guy. And so he goes over to him and he goes, you know, I know Buddhism is all about compassion. And there's this woman here, clearly like she has a child with her. She had a child in her arms. And he's like, it's cold. It's in the morning. She's clearly hungry. She's clearly cold. And, you know, what, what does Buddhism say about showing this woman compassion? And uh, the monk said, it's funny that you should ask because I was exactly right now praying for that woman. And I was praying or meditating or whatever his term is. He's like, and I was uh, praying that she would not know cold and that she would not know hunger, you know, and that those things would be relieved from her. And he said, how do you, you as Christians, like, how do you show compassion? And my buddy was like, well, we go and we buy her a cup of coffee and breakfast, you know, like we're trying to, we help her satiate or fill that immediate need that she has. And, um, and there was no right or wrong. And there's no end of the story really, other than just like, I guess we're both trying to do our best in our own ways. And you're right. Like the Buddhist monk is right in one way. Like, even if we give her this one meal, she's still going to be hungry in two or three hours. You know, we're not really solving a problem, a very temporary problem. And he, in his mind is actually solving the larger problem, which is if we can erase her feeling of hunger, then that actually is a bigger problem solved. But I always thought that was really compelling at the, you know, two different ways of looking at that, addressing that problem. Yeah, interesting. It, it, you know, it's timely, right? With Thanksgiving in a couple of days, you know, and I don't know. It's weird. It's it's tough. It's, it's a tough situation. Yeah, Shout out to Reno. Know, yeah, exactly. Shout out to Reno. I hope he gets better. Yeah. He find some com comfort. The thing's um, Yeah. Do you want... Um, uh, do you want to hear a listener line call or did you have something else? Sure. No, no, let's listen. Okay. Um, let me find it real quick. 
So I kind of have a, a question. I'm a, a North San Diego guy, but originally from Jersey years ago, and I'm a little bit older. So I ride everything. I ride longboards, relatively short boards. Um, on days when my hip isn't working too well, I'll ride a stand-up. Um, there's still some little reefs here in North County that uh, you can zip around to, and they're very rarely crowded. I follow the rules. I don't paddle out where there's a crowd when I'm on the stand-up. My stand-up's a 7-10. But what I find lately is, and, and this is kind of this presumptuousness of short borders, that they own the lineup. I'll find a reef that's working. Nobody's on it. Uh, I'll be there for a little while. Guys will see me catch a few waves. They paddle over, and they assume that it's their right to start taking off uh, as if they've been at the spot before me. Um, about a month or so ago, I had one of my contemporaries in my age group who's paddled over a couple times over the, the course of the years, dropped in on me, and I've had enough and went utterly ballistic. You never give up the Jersey roots. Um, my question is, when does the surfer's role as owning the lineup get usurped by guys that are out there before them? Because it's kind of getting old. Uh, so, love the show, fellas. I enjoyed the discussion this week. That's why I called in later. So I think that's a follow-up to our conversation about foils last week in the mm -hmm. incident in San Francisco. Um, did you, I don't know that his question was super clear, but I think that the general uh, concern of his call was pretty apparent. Do you have thoughts? Yeah, I think what he's, and I don't want to put words in his mouth, but I think what he was trying to say is, um, it's not okay for shortboarders to immediately just take ownership of the lineup because they're shortboarders because the craft they've been riding is sort of um, has some ancestral roots to the sport itself and to the culture itself. And this new thing, relatively new thing, stand up paddling, um, because it's new, they don't get to just have a say whatsoever in what who gets the next wave that comes in and um and i can sense his frustration and it sounds frustrating and um you know it kind of boils down to um i don't know it's 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 a tough one i i do know that that um i've been that short border you know totally. i've been that guy I've been that guy that's like, fuck the stand-up guy, you know, and I'm not proud of it. I'm just calling it like I see it. And it's, it's, it's a fact, but I've also been the stand-up guy. Totally. I've been the stand-up guy, you know, and you've been around for a lot of decades, Scott, you've been through every, <laughs> every role. But uh, So I, you know what I, you know what I think it is after analyzing it from last week, shortboarders, the whole culture of shortboarding is like uh they all have napoleon complex it's little and it's i mean it's funny to say short man complex because they're riding the shortest boards in the lineup but it's yeah. you got something to prove it's like screw you guys you can get waves out the back well look at me i can't get them out the back so i'm going to prove to you what i can do here on the inside and i need to just and i need to actually let you know that i'm here and i need to let you know that i'm boss and it's all validated by the fact that 
surfing's biggest media companies celebrate shortboarding 1000 times more than they do anything else. The most visible professional surfers in the world are all shortboarders. But in reality, if you go to any beach around the world, that's the smallest percentage of people in the water are the ones riding pointy thruster shortboards. So the people who are doing it are staring at, you know, the Hollywood of surfing going, oh, all the popular cool people are doing this. So I'm justified to go and do it in my own local lineup. They're not taking in the totality of the fact that no, nobody else is doing that. So your roles shouldn't apply. You're acting like a big man, but you're actually the shortest man in the room, you know? I think a lot of this can be resolved with just communication, which doesn't happen in the lineups very often, right? It's just, it's often like, well, first of all, the stand-up guy's probably pretty far away. He's probably further outside. If in fact they are close together, some communication would help and it might not, but certainly trying would help. Like, um, you know, just trying to be friendly, either the shortboarder be friendly to the stand-up guy or the stand-up guy be friendly to the shortboarder. And there's a lot of nuance in this situation too. Like, we don't know if the shortboarder was on the beach watching this guy just do laps and catch tons of waves. And he's like, I'm going to go out there and get some too. And I've seen this guy get 20 waves already. And it's my turn. Like there's, you know, the perspectives are different, you know, Um, and I'm not saying that's the case. Um, A lot of times I've noticed um, when a stand-up guy paddles out and he sits down on the board between sets, there's more, um, there's more of a, okay, he's one of us. Whereas Hmm. when the stand-up guy just stays standing up the whole time. And if you're on a seven ten stand-up, you and you are staying stand, stand up the whole time, you have to move around totally. or you, you know, you get tippy. So, you know, generally on a shorter stand up, you can kind of like, you got to be moving through the lineup and that gets a little noose. You know, there's a sense of a nuisance, sort of like a, a bee buzzing, a fly buzzing around the lineup and not just like being still, everyone else is kind of sitting and waiting this person, you know, and, and that, you know, for, this is just a, it's a tough situation to, to sort of, um, be able to present the right answer to, you know, it's, well, it's a problem. Wor- and yeah. What's worth noting though, is shortboarders are the only ones with this mentality. You know, I feel like all other writers of different types of craft have more respect for people on other types of craft and they share the lineup. I feel like shortboarders, because the nature of shortboarding is to be dogged, it's all very aggressive. It's all very, you kind of sit in tight quarters and you can battle it out and you want to kind of elbow people out of your way. They then use that, they apply that to all other people in the lineup when that isn't the culture of foiling. That isn't the culture of stand-up paddle. It's not even the culture of longboarding, you know? Well, and, and like, so I can give you some of my own myopic reasoning when i'm on a shortboard some of it is um and i'm not saying this is right i'm just coming clean for everybody here right like this is probably wrong this is probably surfers are the worst is probably going to get me in some trouble but my own myopia is that a word myopia (laughs) myopia yeah myopia (laughs) myopia (laughs) anyway my own selfishness tells me that um, 
you can catch anything you want on your stand-up paddleboard. And I bet that if we switched roles and I took your stand-up paddle, took my shortboard, you couldn't even catch the wave. So I'm not saying that's right. I'm just saying that's what goes through my mind sometimes. Yeah. I'm like, dude, if where's the meritocracy? Remember you and I had this conversation about meritocracy. And I told you, meritocracy is the guy who's got the biggest board. And you were arguing, no, it's the guy who's got the skill level that can, and I, you know, so anyway, my feeling a lot of times is I can do what you're doing on your stand-up paddleboard and I can ride this 510. And I bet if roles were switched, you couldn't. That doesn't make it okay. I'm not saying that, I'm, I'm saying that that's wrong. Like that's not the Aloha spirit. That's not the way Shukin would want me to behave. <laughs> but I'm just telling you that's sometimes what goes through shortboarders' minds. Another thing goes through shortboarders' minds when they see a stand-up paddler is they're like, dude, you're catching every wave. And I've even written articles about this in the stand-up magazines that even though you don't, even though you probably aren't catching every wave, it just looks like you're catching every wave because you're standing up paddling around. And every time I see you, you're paddling for a wave. And so my feeling is if you're going to paddle for every wave, then so am I. <laughs> it's that simple. And it might seem like I'm burning you, but I'm just paddling for every wave just like you. It just so happens that I'm on the inside in here where you're already riding and you're and you've had 15 turns. Yeah. But this is where the wave's breaking. And so this is where I'm catching it, you know. And again, that's not right. I'm not saying that's right. I'm just saying that that's the mentality that's that at least I have, and I'm assuming other shortboarders have when they see a stand-up paddler. Now, that being said, if you're a shortboarder and you're flailing around with a stand-up paddler. It's probably, there's something about waves that are shortboardable. If waves are truly shortboardable, there's not that many stand-up paddlers out. Like, you're not going to see not. them at a beach break. You're not going to see them at Newport jetties, you know, like where it's legit shortboarding waves, you know? And so if you're cutting off and being a kook to a stand-up paddler, it's probably pretty small and shitty because that's yep. basically where stand-up paddling takes place in small and shitty waves. It's longboardable, basically, you know? And so give them their due. Let them, they're, the guys, you know, I, he's probably a compatriot of mine. He's above over 55. He's just trying to get wet and have fun. And he sounds like he's also, as he mentioned, he's also one of, you know, the shortboard community when he can do it, when the waves dictate that. And so, you know, I, I understand his frustration as well. I see both sides of the equation. Yep. Well, good. We're doing good work last week and this week, illuminating the perspectives <laughs> of each side. Well, we're trying. Surfers are the worst, but surfers can also be the best. I've learned this from Shuk and the Stoic. That is right. And, uh, Thank you for that. Yes. Um, right. Well, I'm looking forward to the Holly Eve event kicking off this week, Scott, and Thanksgiving time with the family. Um, my must-see moment comes from listener Bruce in Austin, Texas. And it's Mason Ho's latest uh, YouTube video compiling all of his wipeouts. So even though the Big Wave Awards are not promoting wipeouts anymore, Mason Ho, this and this is footage from, I mean, honestly, two years, I would say, if I had to guess. Um, insane. 10 minutes straight of just wipeouts. And he's from the wedge <laughs> getting like hitting backwash rejections at the wedge to insane uh, Waimea. 
the year they ran the Eddy where just a couple of crazy closeout sets in the Bay, like awesome, awesome footage. So Cool. Um, that's interesting. There's a void for wipeouts, right? And Mason's already filling the void. <laughs> I wonder if there's Perfect some, timing. something behind that. Uh, my thing, messy moment. Oh, yeah. One thing that one of the commenters, just random commenter on YouTube said that I thought was worth reading was, Mason is one of the best examples of how meaningless competitive surfing is at determining who is the best surfer. The best to me is the surfer I want to watch the most. And Mason is the top five easily. Yeah, I agree. And that, that falls into my messy moment, which is this thing called the, the best shit waves we've ever seen. I saw it on Stab. And it features Dane Reynolds and some other guys surfing just shitty waves up in the Ventura area. And um, Dane looks pretty like he's had a few slices of turkey. You know what I'm saying? Like he's off the course lights and he's on the course Pilsner or something. But um, he's got wait, a dad Are bod. you saying he's lost weight or he's gained weight? I'm saying he's got a dad bod. Well, he, <laughs> he looks, we've been commenting he on that for we've been commenting on that for years. So has he no, added? Okay, I thought you added. said I thought you meant by turkey. Turkey's a lean meat. So I thought you were no, saying he no, got no, off the burritos no. and got on turkey. No, no. I, I'm just saying he's added some, the power quotient is, is through the roof. That's all I'm saying. Good on him. And yeah. And uh, it's called uh, the best shit waves. Anyway, if, if you want to get motivated by Dane Reynolds and who doesn't, he's, he's, he got me excited about my new twin fin. So um, by the way, uh, our friend, Tim Crozier, my, my good buddy, Tim Crozier is making me that twin fin. Oh, I was going to ask you, what it, do you yeah. know what model it is? I wanted a fish. I wanted sort of a traditional fish, you know? Okay. And, and so he's making me a super down rail fast, you know, 21 inch wide fish, kind of just a twin, just like a stock fishy thing. And we'll see how it goes and uh, report back. He's, he's got a set of uh, kind of keel style fins from NVS blackbird fins. Oh, cool. Well, um, I've got some sick NVS keel fishes keel oh, okay. fins cool. here too. So perfect. I've got a bunch of good stuff. Yeah. All right. Well, look, um, you have Happy a Thanksgiving. Yeah. Okay. Right. Until next time. Adios and aloha.
Come on, man. 